Podcast One. Hey everyone, and just a quick warning about this episode. It may contain some strong language and material of a sensitive nature like discussions around mental health, sex and suicide. If any of these topics are distressing to you or if you know someone who might need some help, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to episode six of Listenable, the podcast that we hope is going to challenge your idea of what you believed disability is. Yeah, you're definitely going to learn something. You might laugh, a few tears along the way. And today we have a bit of a hard hitting one about mm. what it's like to have a disability to sometimes get a bit of abuse online because we live in a digital age, Gus, and even you know what it's like being a broadcaster. It can be tough sometimes, you know, with what people say online. Of course. And I think this is going to be one of the more harsh examples of what social media can do to people with disability. Uh, I think it's a story that we all need to hear. And for you listening, there are going to be moments of pause and silence and shock. That's because that's what it is. It's some of the um, comments that our next guest has received online. Yeah. And I really give her heaps of credit for coming on and having a chat about what it's like to live with her disability and some of the things that she's dealt with. She's also a bloody legend. Superstar. Superstar. Really down to earth. Awesome person. So I'm stoked she's come on for a chat here at Listen Able. So let's meet her. My name's Cherie. I do disability advocacy, work a day job as well and spend my spare time, I guess, just gigging and going out with friends. And Shit, yeah. And what is your disability? I am a leg amputee, so I had cancer when I was six years old, bone cancer in my pelvis, and, yeah, that's how it happened. At the age of six, having cancer, how much were you aware of what was happening at the time? Not much, but I did know what cancer was because I saw a little girl on TV with cancer probably very shortly before I found out that I had it. So it was a bit weird because (laughs) I remember seeing this girl on TV and being like, I hope that never happens to me. Mm. (laughs) And then next minute, so I knew what it was luckily, but I thought it meant I was going to go bald. That was it. (laughs) And I was like, no, not my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was pretty, pretty rough. My parents were separated, so it was a bit of juggling, you know, them having to be together to take me to all these things and to hospital and find out what was going on and yeah and then shortly after diagnosis it was kind of like take the leg or nothing really Really? so what kind of kid were you pre that were you active running around I was active I was very quiet my mum always calls me Wednesday Adams so (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't a big bubbly kid and then I don't know how active I was I just remember that I was running one day at school like in the field with the kids and then all of a sudden I couldn't really run that well anymore so that's as much as I know about my activeness is that I could run yeah. mm. and then I and sucked then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey I suck at running too yeah so, don't so at the age of six uh you've got cancer in your pelvis I'm sure they tried to exhaust all means of radiotherapy chemotherapy I mean what op- options were offered to you and the family that was really it so we uh-huh. did chemotherapy yeah but I've got like my own medical records at home and I've read through them before and the the document from the day that they told my parents what the options were, mm. um, it was essentially, you know, surgery is the only option. If we oh. don't operate, then it's game over. But the amputation wasn't confirmed. So they weren't going to know until we were in the surgery if they were going to amputate or not. And oh, it was no a way. 20% 
chance of amputation. And then if they didn't amputate, they were going to do something like remove my pelvis. And then back then, 20 years ago, there was no kind of reconstruction stuff. So it was kind of like, we'll remove it now and see what happens later and see if we can fix it down the line. Medical technology advances that we'll be able to fix this. That's what they said. You got put to sleep not knowing if you're going to wake up with a leg or not. Pretty much. And they actually tried to tell me before the surgery that it could happen, but they like, they got out this doll and then they trying to show me on the doll, like what can happen. And they got to the bit where they were talking about, you know, possibly removing the bone and then I would be unable to use my leg and using crutches. I wonder if that comes down to the idea that you needed to consent to that, if that makes sense, because... Six years old, you still have an idea of what's happening in the world. Maybe. Nah, no, I didn't get a say. Okay. Um, well, because they tried to explain it to me and then I heard, you know, you might not be able to use your leg properly and I just shut down and I was like, no. Yeah. And I just broke down and then I didn't actually hear them say that, <laughs> you know, it could be amputated altogether. So I didn't catch that. Yeah. And then I woke up from surgery and I was like, mom, there's something on my hip because mm. it felt different, but I didn't realise it was because there was something missing. I thought that it was something else was there. Mm. It was so odd because it felt so weird. And I was telling my mum, I was like, what's what's on my hip? And she's like, nothing's on your hip. There's nothing there. <laughs> no. How did you feel when you, if you can remember, how, how, when you first realised that the leg was gone? Upset because I thought no one told me. And I was saying, why did no one tell me? And my mum's saying, they did, they did try and tell you, but I was didn't listen. Mm. Um, there was another girl in the same ward as me and she had, have you heard of rotation plasty? No. What's that? I don't know if I'm saying it right, but basically it's when you have the leg amputated, so you've got cancer in your upper leg, and then they keep the lower leg and then they take the lower leg from, so attach the knee to your hip and they rotate it, so then your heel becomes your, your knee. knee. So a lot of wheelchair tennis players have this, in, especially in like Holland and stuff. Because the knee is the most important joint. Yeah. You can attach a prosthetic yeah. leg and then the heel becomes the knee. So the foot's upside down. So then you can still have like a half prosthetic, use it quite well, do running and all those kinds of things. So Yeah, we had a guy called Curtis McGrath on this podcast and he was saying that um, one of his legs cost $200,000 because it's a bionic knee mm. and that the knee was the most expensive part. The other yeah. leg was like... Not even like a quarter of the price. Yeah. yeah. The knee was the most important. Okay. I played a tennis against a guy called Ronald Vink and he had that. He had the upside down foot and he had a size 18 foot. And when oh. he would hit tennis balls, his toes would like wiggle and stuff. Oh. Psyched him yeah. out well. Wow. It was impressive. Wow. So obviously you and I are in the world, so we know. So Angus, most people with a prosthetic uh, can attach it to what they call a stump, mm-hmm. which is like the part of the leg that's remaining and then they can walk around. Do you have a stump or is your yeah. amputation too high? Is too high. So as you're saying, you know, the knee's super expensive and it's super complex. Um, I don't even have a hip. So a lot of people, even if they have like an upper leg amputation, they've still got something that they can kind of leverage. And imagine if you're walking upstairs with a prosthetic, you need a leverage to raise the other leg, right? To mm, go of or walk foot over foot or walk up a hill. So I've tried a couple prosthetics when I was a kid, lasted like a day um, because it's like a full body swing to try and get your leg to move ahead of you and it wraps around your waist. So you're sitting in like a socket that wraps around your waist and then you're just swinging this leg. It's got to use momentum, You can't yeah. bend your knee. You can't lift it. You can't walk up a hill. You have to go like your foot ahead and then meet it. 
So it's like it's not the most step. practical way of getting around. Yeah. So I was a kid and I was like, this is slower. Why would I use this when it's slower? And I can't climb trees. I can't run around. I played lots of sports when I was a kid. I was like, I can't do this with a prosthetic. And yeah, obviously I still don't have one because the ones they do have out there are 200k plus. And even then, they still don't have the good hip technology for me to think that it's worth it. So Uh, you use crutches. Yeah. And I found someone online, actually, she has the same amputation as me. She passed away last week, which is very sad. But she was the first person I found that um, had the same amputation as me. And she had a leg. And she, it was a full, you know, bionic oh. one, but she still used crutches because of the movement restrictions. Mm-hmm. But she basically had it just for the aesthetic, you know, so she could wear cool pants yeah, exactly, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. all this stuff. And I was like, that is a really expensive accessory. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> like, so dream world, you've just got a lazy half a million bucks lying around. Would you go the leg or are you happy with getting around on crutches? I think I, I feel like I might have to eventually just because like my, my other hip's getting a bit weak. And just the pressure of walking on crutches and thinking about it, like when I get older and I'm not as strong, maybe I might need something extra. But for now I'm okay, but I am definitely considering it. And I found a guy over in America who specialises in these types of amputations as well. So I'm thinking of going and seeing him because I've seen some videos of guys walking with his legs and they look Look pretty solid. Nice. Um, we were meant to actually record this last week, but you had to pull out last minute, which was totally fine, um, with what you described as phantom pains. Yes. What's a phantom pain? Scientifically, I'm not too sure, but it's essentially um, when you're an amputee, you still have nerves running to that limb that was there and then all of a sudden they stop now. So your brain still has these nerves running to nowhere. Maybe there's some kind of confusion in your brain, but what it does is it can cause certain pains, I also have phantom feeling, so I can feel my leg that's not there. That's whack ass. Um, and I can move my toes and stuff. On the leg that's not there? Yeah. Because, that, wow. I mean, your brain yeah. operates like a full system. It, it doesn't understand why you don't have the leg that you were once born with. I feel like my leg is small, so I feel like maybe it stopped growing. When uh, it, you've got a six-year-old leg. Yeah, I've got like a little leg. And then I can feel certain sensations on it, like if I'm rubbing against grass and stuff like that. And... um. They say, you know, it gets better as the longer it's been that you've been without the limb, but it can actually get worse as well because the nerves can keep growing and then what they do is they grow and tangle and can turn into like a tumour and that can cause a lot of pain as well. So there's lots of later effects that I didn't actually know about until another guy, Josh Sunquist, DM'd me on Instagram after I was like, complaining about my phantom pains. He's got a hemipelvectomy too. Yeah, he had a procedure just a couple of weeks ago to remove these nerves and have them like reattach to some other ones. So hopefully his brain will work things out. Amazing. Uh, how did you go at school? School was hard. I wasn't really bullied because I went back to school when I was in primary school and they kind of, the whole school knew me, you know, they had an assembly about me when I was diagnosed mm. to let everyone know. And my insecurities were always kind of, not really what I should have been insecure about. Like I, I had a wig when I went back to school and people found out I had a wig and that was the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I got over it. Like I stayed in my classroom for lunch times and stuff for a few weeks just to like not be overwhelmed yeah. by going out and 
the whole school, sir. Mm. People would ask questions, you know, and say things sometimes. And then I got to intermediate school. I think that's when I started to get pretty insecure. Like, you know, you're getting older and, like, boys and girls start to have, like, crushes on each other. And that's when I started to be like, oh, noticing that I was really left out, which is, you know, stupid. That's not what you should be worried about. You should be. When you're a kid, that's everything. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Georgie Gorman didn't kiss me in a blue light disco <laughs> once. It rocked my world for years. Yeah. Hey, shout out to George. Years. Shout out to Georgie Gorman. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah, yeah she's listening. No Dodged doubt. it. Uh, um, <laughs> how did you navigate that? Not very well. Like, I remember I was at a school disco once. I think I was about 13 years old. And it was like an inter-school disco. Oh, yeah. And it was like, this boy, so stupid. He was like going around with his friend. And his friend was asking every girl in the room if she would be his girlfriend. And then they got to me. And then the boy leaned over and he kind of like whispered. And he's like, don't ask her. And so he skipped me. And he literally was like asking every person in the room. And I was like. Like, I don't want to be his girlfriend, but I was like, I was like, you want to be asked? Why don't you ask me? Yeah. God, that sucks. So depressing. But I I got to this point where I was like, you know, like every night in bed, I'd just be like bawling my eyes out, just being like, never going to get married, never going to do this and that. And I just like made this kind of acceptance with myself. I'm like, you're going to be alone forever and you're going to go and you're going to go get rich (laughs) and it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously that was bullshit. I don't know if I'm allowed to square. Of course you can. You Um, do whatever you want. You know, like now I've got a boyfriend, I'm in a very long-term relationship, we live together, we're very happy. But back then it was just like I'd never seen a disabled person in a happy relationship. My one um, example I had of an amputee woman finding love was the movie Juice Bigelow. Do you oh remember that? God, Juice Bigelow, yes. male gigolo. Yes. Yeah, and she Rob had a letter. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Yeah. I, I've never heard Rob Schneider described as like a disability advocate getting some stuff out there. <laughs> it, was, it was a terrible movie. Yeah, and it was like, it was like oh, he, he still loved her despite her yeah. having one. Like, how wonderful. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll find my Rob Schneider. Like, wow. <laughs> now, speaking of love, uh, you said that you have found love, but something that you have to face every day, which I think the able-bodied world probably don't know too much about, is people that are devotees or like troll you online. So if you're comfortable with it, do you mind explaining what that means and I guess some of the things that have happened to you? Well, a devotee is a person who has a fetish for amputees. Um, I did not know that was a thing. Never did I until one day. It's so weird. I had to like come out as disabled on the internet because it was like everyone in my life knew, obviously, but then when I was on, like, Twitter and stuff, it's like, you can't tell by a photo of my head. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I did? I went on a date with a girl. Actually, I met her at a party, and I only had photos of my face on my MySpace. So I still feel bad about this. Mm. But she was like, I'm going to kiss Dylan Alcock, going to kiss Dylan Alcock. Then I got to the party. She had no idea I was in a wheelchair. Poor girl freaked out. I still feel bad about it. But I wasn't comfortable. I hadn't come out online yeah. about my disability as well. Yeah. yeah. Because it's hard because it's like it doesn't just come up in conversation. Like, all mm. your life, everyone's just known. You didn't have to tell people outside of the internet. Exactly, yeah. And then the internet also became like this little safe space for me where everyone thought I was normal and I liked that when I was younger because it was like this internalised ableism that you're taught that you should be embarrassed of it, I guess. Yeah, so the internet didn't really know that I was an amputee. Um, That's because you were choosing to put photos up that didn't involve you having one leg? Yeah, and this was also... 
what are we talking like standing 14 years ago where, you know, Instagram's not a thing. You know, I'd let a few people online already know that I was an amputee, like my close online friends and stuff, and they were all totally fine. Of course, of course it would be. But then when I was around 20, I was, I was at a point where I was kind of a lot more confident in, you know, being an amputee and people knowing about it. And then I did an interview with Clio magazine, and that was where kind of everyone knew, you know. I just put out this magazine article, just dropped it, and I was like, deal with it. And then from then on, the devotees started rolling in? Yeah. I'm getting all these weird messages on Facebook, like, hey, you want to come to, you know, Greece? I'll pay you a thousand dollars and we'll do a photo shoot, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, just the usual, hey, you're so you're so beautiful, um, asking for photos of my stump and all this stuff. And well, some of the, What's oh. the weirdest requests you've had? Uh, I've got this guy, he still messages me like every few weeks. It's been going on for years. And he'll be like, oh, can I, I'll um, Western Union you $100 if you do a five-minute video just walking around your room. And I'm like... <laughs> Wow. And These people exist. 100%. I've, I've had a few back in the day when I was teenagers and weird stuff. Have you ever thought about taking the cash and doing anything like that? No. I've trolled them sometimes mm. and I've just been like, how much can I get them to say they're going to give me? And yeah. some guy got up to like $2,000 and then what? I was like, oh, yeah, catch her. When, yeah. I, when, wow. when I was at school, I registered the domain name paraplegicpleasure.com. <laughs> I did not know that. And we thought about doing it but I didn't do it. Amputationdomination.com. <laughs> Could make some cash. You can make serious cash. I know girls that do. You, I'm telling you, serious cash. Surely you've done the research into what a devotee is and where the, the fetish comes into it. What is the allure of uh, amputee? I think that's just the case of it's just another fetish. Mm, you right. know, like you've got your, your foot fetish, then you've got your no foot fetish, and then you've got your... Um, bondage or yeah, bondage. whatever. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just another extreme, and then you've got people that want to be amputees so they've got like a wait they want to cut their own limbs off yeah you've whoa, got you know there's, you? Peop, you know whoa, there's people that you? have done it no hey, we did not yes Google it. there. so people actually cut off their own limbs on purpose to be amputees yeah I, that's unbelievable what do they feel they're missing out on by having all four limbs they just hate their feet <laughs> yeah i don't know it's just another body dysmorphia i guess they, mm. they just feel that it's not are you like, they are. Do they do that in the backyard or is there people that legally, can you legally do that? Um, the one story I saw, I don't know if it's true because it was Jerry Springer. Oh, hey, wait, wait. Great source. Yes. Springer, yeah. No, but he was, he did have his legs amputated and on the show they were saying that he did it to himself. Oh, my gosh. There'd be something in Thailand. It just feels like Thailand yeah. you could probably get that done. There's a price for everything over there. So, yeah. yeah, and then there's people that were like Photoshop people that have two legs or whatever to have no legs or oh one leg because it's what they want to see. So that article came out nine years ago. Yeah. So fast forward to where we came across you. I mean, obviously you knew Dylan from Splinter of the Grass, but I saw this article in real time. I think it was about the 5th or 6th of November. And I sent you a DM on Instagram straight away saying, hey, we're doing this podcast. I'd love to, for you to come on and talk about uh, the trolls that you come across. Tell us the lead up to the article that was printed. Um, That was just a weird anomaly. So I made, like, a really lazy joke on Twitter. Like, I've said way funnier things before. <laughs> Which is so <laughs> upsetting that some of the good gear wasn't yeah, used. Exactly. Yeah. And so basically someone had made the tweet that were like, tweet your age and something you can't do. And then so I retweeted it just saying I'm 27 and I can't cross my legs. 
And that was it. I was just kind of leaving it as like an inside joke for the people that knew me. Mm. Yeah, your followers. And then a guy took the bait that I didn't really know was there. Yeah. And then he goes, LMAO, why? And then I just retweeted it with a photo of myself. And that was it. I just dropped it. And then within 24 hours, it's like 9,000 retweets. And it was like 10% people being, haha, this is funny. And then 90% being like, oh, yeah, I'd still fuck you. Yeah. Or, oh, I wonder what that stump looks like. And um, one guy said it would be easy to rape her because of she's got one leg and it would be harder for her to get away. And then it was a million guys making the same joke over and over again. And I was just like, it was just weird. Like, I wasn't upset about it. I didn't get, didn't go and have a cry over it or anything. I was just like, you're not funny. Like, stop making the same joke a thousand times. It's not funny. And people thought it was so funny. Then it kind of died down and then a journalist found the thread and then she DM'd me saying, I want to do an article about this. Would you mind? I think she asked me for comment and stuff and I said, look, I'm going to think about it because I've already got thousands of messages and stuff and I don't want to make it worse. Mm. And then I slipped on it and I woke up and I was kind of like, what's the worst that can happen? (laughs) And I set some ground rules on what, you know, she could talk about and what she couldn't. And then I just expected it to be just back of the lifestyle section. Might get a few followers maybe. And then she posted it and then it was just worldwide. Yeah. Within 24 hours I was, you know, looking at the biggest news websites in the country and I was just like bang front page my mug right there and that's what freaked me out. Like that upset me more than the tweets because I guess I had control over the first article and there were a few other journalists that let me, you know, have control as well from other publications. But then especially overseas, they just didn't care and they just went and wrote whatever they wanted, took mm-hmm. whatever photos they wanted, um, oh, whatever spin they wanted. That was ripping them off your social media. And yeah, just taking all the photos off my Instagram and stuff, whereas the other ones I'd said, oh, you know, I'm cool if you use these photos and stuff because oh, wow. this is people, you know, infiltrated from my internet life into my real life. I have family and people I went to school with, school teachers messaging me in New Zealand saying, hey, I saw you in the news. And then it's being posted on like the biggest Instagram page in Indonesia. And then I got like thousands of people from Indonesia. Well, I mean, they were the loveliest out of all of them, by the way. They were so lovely because, you know, places like the UK and stuff, because you could kind of tell where it was heading at the time based on mm. who was messaging you and stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, Australia and the UK, I was, there were just a lot of horrible comments being like, oh, what do you expect, you know, if you're existing on the internet? you expect people not to say these things. And it's like, I'm not new to the internet, but it doesn't mean I'm not allowed to be like, hey, these comments aren't that great, to be like, oh, you deserve it. And like you said, the headlines do go differently between the countries. Uh, You know, Australian ones, some of them read, uh, female amputee targeted by trolls who commented about rape and sex with her. But there is one, and I want to get to talk to you both about the language that they used in their headline. They said brave female amputee targeted by trolls who want to rape her. The word brave when it comes to disability is a really interesting topic. Um, How do you both feel about the word brave being used? It's a bit weird because obviously you have no choice but to carry on and just keep going. Obviously it takes 
bravery to break through the barriers set by society. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of just put upon you and you have to break through them. It can take bravery like to overcome. Like when I came out as disabled, mm-hmm. you know, that took a lot of strength. But they're acting like I'm brave just for existing. Yeah. Oh, it must be so hard to be her um, without knowing a single thing about me. And it's kind of just imposing this assumption that my life is terrible because I'm an amputee. Cherie's brave because she beat cancer. She's not brave because she wrote a tweet. She's not brave because she said a joke. She's not brave to get a cup of coffee. But, you know, I might be brave because I overcame my disability, fair enough, but me, just being me, is not brave. Yeah, it's the same with inspiring. You know, when they say you're inspiring for, literally I've been told that for crossing the street. You're so inspiring and it's like, if it's that surprising to see someone like me out in public, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be going, oh, I'm so inspired. You should be going, why is it so surprising for me to see a disabled person out in public as the world that inaccessible that when I see someone, I'm shocked? Like, maybe make your spaces more welcoming and then you won't be so surprised. Mm. Obviously, females, you know, <laughs> face sexism and, and challenges every day. Do you think that's compounded as well with having a disability? I think so. I definitely think I'm treated differently. You know, maybe if a guy made that tweet, he wouldn't have gotten those responses that I got. Even a, even a guy amputee, for example. Yeah. Like <laughs> I think it's easier to have a disability and be male because uh, like females have a caring nature in them, more so than males, I think, and especially in relationships and things like that. I think it's a lot easier for males with disabilities. And, you know, I could put up a photo of me with my shirt off making a wheelchair joke. No one's going to say, mm, yummy, going to rape that. You know what I mean? It just doesn't happen like that, does it? People still find it surprising that an abled person will date a disabled person. Uh, like, for example, there's this guy on Instagram, Shane Burkhaw. Do you know him? He's a YouTuber. Mm. Um, so him and his girlfriend are YouTubers and he's a wheelchair user and he's got a book called People Think My Girlfriend is a Nurse. Mm. People can't believe that she would be dating him. Um, I get that all the time. Everyone thinks yeah. Chantel's my carer or my sister. I don't get that myself. Like people aren't like, oh, it's so surprising that, you know, I have a boyfriend or something like that. But I think it's just different because disability is so varied that some people just think like, I couldn't date someone with a disability, therefore how could anyone else? One big one that I get as well is, oh, you have a girlfriend. Oh, what's her disability? This is an assumption. Really? Yeah, I used to get what? that a bit. There's an assumption that she, had, and there's nothing wrong with dating someone with a disability as well, but, you know, it's more about the person that, that, you're, that you're dating. What about, have you dated any flogs or had relationships with people that weren't comfortable with your leg? I've never had a relationship with someone that wasn't comfortable with my leg because I don't think it would happen in the first place. The real icebreaker. Yeah. You know, you couldn't get two weeks into the relationship yeah. with Shireen and go, oh my God, you're missing a leg. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind of, it was kind of like a filter for me, like yeah. as soon as they found out. Exactly. If I had one leg, it was like, well, there's the door. Yeah, yeah so yeah. So when I was a teenager, you know, as I was talking about earlier, and I was having that time of, oh, no one's ever going to be attracted to me and so on. When men started to, it was so surprising to me that I guess I really just like really was so into it and just really excited, you know. So if some complete flog showed interest in me, I was kind of like, this is probably all I'm going to get. You know, I almost felt, you know, like this is, you know, what I have to settle for sometimes. Mm. I never really had a relationship until I met my current boyfriend. So that's my only 
real relationship. It's a good feeling when the opposite sex shows or the same sex shows interest in you, isn't it? I remember I had yeah. that. You think you're asexual for a while and then you're like, oh my God, I just hooked up with someone. I was like fist pumping. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was I, just... Because I imagine how you felt, Angus. Yeah. Times that by a million. You know what I mean? Like we were all nervous <laughs> in that and then just and the addition of that insecurity of your disability makes it a ton harder. Yeah. So yeah, there was that while where it was just, you know, men that weren't necessarily had the best intentions. They wanted to be able to go and tell their friends that they've hooked with a girl with one leg. It's like a weird brag. Weird flex. Yeah. How many, how many amputees? You've been with dickhead? I've been with one. <laughs> we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are able-bodied, but also a lot of people that have disabilities, parents of young girls who are amputees or even young girls themselves. If you go back and tell 13-year-old Cherie who didn't like herself and the body that she had and things like that, one bit of advice, what would you say? People are going to see you. No matter what, if they're going to stare, be the best you can be, I guess. Let them stare. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like it. And we're going to finish with a thing that we do every episode, which is a bowl of uncomfortable. It's a question that's been sent to us by people who have curiosities about people with disabilities, not necessarily devotees. I hope these questions aren't com- <laughs> coming from these people. Let me guess. Do you have sex with your leg on or off? A <laughs> <laughs> question is, uh, do you feel sexy now in your current self? Uh, this is a, I have, so I do feel good about myself, yes, and I do, yes, feel sexy at times and then there's times that I don't because I'm human. One thing I like about you as well is you've got good fashion. You wear nice sneakers. I want to know what you do with the other shoe. Um, I stash them until I move house and then they all go in the bin. You just bin them? Yeah, but I have heard there are like trading websites well, oh, of this. on my wheelchair basketball team, yeah. the rollers, there was two guys. One was a left leg amputee. One was a right leg amputee. <laughs> Guess what? Same size shoe. So they go shopping together and just buy one pair and split yeah. it. Oh, man. Do you know what How they call good them? good is that? Do you know what they call them? No. Soulmates. Oh, genius. Oh. Genius. Shree, you are a effing ledge. And I love yeah. something that I love about you from afar is the way that you do put yourself out there and, and advocate for people because – Angus, it's hard sometimes. Mm. It really is. And, you know, I was, still am insecure about my disability, about things, about sex and all different things like that. And the best way to educate people is through lived experience. And you talk about your lived experience. And I think you should be really proud of that. And we really bloody appreciate you coming in. And um, if anybody wants to follow you with that, well, we can put your socials in, in our, our handle and things like that. But yeah, sure yeah from every, from our team here at Listen A, I just want to say thanks so much for coming in and being honest about it. And yeah. I think you'll continue to help a lot of people. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Cherie. Uh, if you want to get in contact with her directly, we'll have her Instagram, her Twitter. Make sure you send nice comments. Uh, they're going to be in our show notes. Yeah, exactly. Just give her a thanks, you know. Exactly right. And and it's so, I guess you just don't even think people would say things like that. You know what I mean? And as someone in the public profile, I've had a few. I've had a few funny ones. As well, yeah, though. but you cop crap because you know. Yeah, we were on a TV show. They got axed halfway yeah. through a season. So there's stuff that we can not disability related that I can rib you about. Exactly but- right. Yeah, I was on the footy show and I got axed. My favorite footy show tweet was, uh, "Can someone tell 
old mate wheelchair no legs. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. That he can't even kick a footy. I said, mate, <laughs> I got legs. They just don't work. So ship off. My other fun thing to do pit. is uh, your, one of your sponsors is Toyota. And, of course, they've got the old water filling with someone jumping in the air. You're the only ambassador of the car. Can't, exactly. <laughs> and every time I put up my new car, I go, still working on the jump. And it gets a laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's every good. Time. Every time. And before we tell you about the next episode of Listen Able, uh, I want to ask you a question. Something she brought out there was coming out disabled online. Yeah, because with this, you know, social media age, you can hide your imperfections, mm-hmm. no matter if you have, you know... Face tune or a disability. Exactly right, yeah. whether it's acne scars or whatever it is. And, yeah, you know, obviously I used to hide it by cropping out my photo and so did Cherie. So it's funny, you might say these days, oh, why don't you just show it? Who cares? But people do care. People do, especially in those young formative Correct. years. I, mean, I, I imagine there's going to be young teenagers with disability listening to this right now that are hiding their, you know, themselves through the cropping or profile photos online. But even you, Angus, like I know you had an operation where you had something removed and it have, you have like a bit of a third nipple now. Even that I makes do. you self-conscious. Yeah, I had an infection next to my nipple because I squeezed an ingrown hair and it became something. And I've got a huge scar there and it's gone. In, it's like a keloid scar, right? So it's kind of raised and disgusting. And yeah, I wear a rash vest in summer. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I go, and mate, that's just from that. And I you know. go, no, 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 but I care. Yeah. It's, you know, sometimes it's that internal of thing. And that's why having these discussions hopefully help people to realise that, you know, as soon as Sheree and myself are proud of our disability and you are proud of your third nipple. Um, I'm actually getting a tattoo over it. <laughs> yeah, our lives change immediately. <laughs> We've got a Facebook group, search Listenable to join the community. Maybe chat to Sharif if she wants to go online and start a thread there. We've got a YouTube page if you want to see what we look like. Maybe you want to see Sheree. Uh, of course, search Listenable on YouTube. And if you yourself are affected by disability, you might have one or be a family member of, we'd love to hear your stories. Get in contact with us in the DMs of either of those pages and we'll reply to you and get in contact. Until the next episode, we'll see you then. Listen Able was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.